I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. Here's the fangirls on Jackalope Radio. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me, as always, is my ghostly counterpart, um, the always known is there but never heard, Amanda. And uh, also with me tonight is my cohort in crime, Rachel Moore. Good evening. <laughs> We're very courtly tonight, and I'm not quite sure. I, n- why. I never know what to say there. I have to be honest. I don't have like a catch. There's always. Or... I'm, I always have to like count like the seconds as I'm like you. You can say something now. <laughs> um, but tonight's episode's a special one. Um, I'm very very excited because we have two special guests. Um, they are Nathan Basil, the star of. Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. He had actually made an appearance. He's kind of making the rounds on Jackalope this week. Um, uh, he was on Delamort's Dungeon of Deadly Delights. But he is on our show tonight. And with him, um, we are going to have the writer of both films, Behind the Mask and Before the Mask, the hopefully to soon be made prequel, um, David Stiev. And I hope I pronounced his last name correctly or he'll beat me. Um, and I already told him that he and Nathan can get in a fight on the show. I'm all good with that because you know what? That's ratings. I'm, I'll, I'll go the uh, the the uh, Jerry Springer route. I'm okay with that because I'm white trash. I'm good. <laughs> Speaking of white trash, I wanted to go right into our weekend geek segment and talk about the Oscars. Uh. Um, because I don't think we've really given vent enough to how crappy um, this Oscar uh, nomination lists are for this um, this year. I'm, I am sorely disappointed and uh, I'm not quite I sure. Would be, except for, I haven't watched the Oscars in two years because it just became such a farce. I just can't do it anymore. I watched it every year growing up. Yeah, up until two years ago. I, I think I may not watch this year uh, just simply because really the they it's just so bizarrely wrong um and and Rachel can hop in here at any time but one thing I definitely noticed and and there was so much buzz about it beforehand and was left off was Rise of the Apes um Rise of the Planet of the Apes I don't even think they got nominated for special effects did they I I didn't see it I I was um Oh wait, they did get nominated for visual effects, but that's but kind of like where they stick genre stuff that they don't know what to do with. Yeah, and and that that kind of 
leads me to the other one that I can't believe didn't get at least one nomination out of however freaking many movies was were made, which was Alan Rickman. Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, I mean, you just see him. I mean, he puts his heart and soul into every freaking thing he does. I do have to say, and and surprisingly enough, I'm not going to say Johnny. I think I may have mentioned this previously on the show, but I am just amazed that the Rum Diary didn't get anything. I'm not. Well... I, I thought it was I an thought a- Giovanni Ribisi might have gotten a little nod, but there's I know that the Academy has things against Giovanni um, because in some ways he stole the show from Johnny Depp. He totally, he totally did, and that was my thing was Giovanni Ribisi should have gotten a Best Supporting Actor nomination over, um, you know, I, I'm just in shock by some of these Supporting Actor and Actress nominees. and But for that one, I mean... Like, we have um, Jonah well, I, Hill from Moneyball. Up against Kenneth Branagh. I mean, like... Yeah, but yeah. okay, like, let's let's play one of these names is not like the other with the Oscars. <laughs> we have Kenneth Branagh playing, I believe he's playing um, <laughs> Lawrence Olivier right, in right. that, by the way. Um, Nick Nolte, Christopher Plummer, and Max von Sydow, and Jonah yeah. Hill. And um, yeah, I kind of, kind of don't get that, but okay. Um, it, it kind of unbelievable, really. I mean, yeah. I don't I, even like. What do you even say to that? Do I don't say? know. And and you know, people are like, "But he was good in Moneyball." It's like, uh, what, what was he playing Jonah Hill again? Because that's pretty <laughs> much all he plays. Right. Maybe he wasn't quite as annoying as he normally is in the comedies that he's been cast in, or loud and obnoxious. Is that why that you you gave him a yeah? Good, you stop being loud and obnoxious. I, I I don't know. Um, but you know, I I don't get it. I thought Rabisi was just great. He was so. If you're gonna do some sort of comedy, you know, if you're gonna reward comedy, re- reward comedy, you know, funny comedy, unique different, you know, good stuff. Well, it comes down to that Giovanni Ribisi, other than being who he is, did not play a likable character. He played a Nazi, you know. <laughs> exactly. It, alcoholic, and it was it was one of the best, most refreshing things in that movie. But, I mean, just going through here, I think it's good that Hugo got a nod. Um, I don't think, I mean, unless Scorsese's name with it um, helps it. It should get Best Picture. It probably won't. No, oh, you know, I, I can already tell you. Let's see. I can tell you what, the two that I think will end up getting Best Picture. I can, I can actually tell you what's going to win Best Picture is going to be The Help. For whatever reason, that movie has taken over, and they think that, you know, it's, it, but the one thing that just really annoys me is extremely loud and incredibly close. You know, um, I haven't seen it, so I can't. <coughs> I, the thing is, though, you know, it seems like today it's it's now if you put nine eleven in something, that's your Oscar bait. It used to be the Holocaust, right? Now it's it's become nine eleven, and and I'm really already tired of this. I I, I well, think it's 
just annoying. I want to give it a try just because there haven't I haven't seen any movies that addressed it in any kind of really meaningful way that wasn't just horribly, you know, stuntish and and just yes, yeah, stuntish. And so I I really want to see that movie before I judge it, but I I don't know. I mean, I just think Hugo should get it. And I really and and my thing is too. I I think that uh, I I also don't like how the Oscars tend to nominate films that come out at the very end of the year, so people can't don't have a chance like the normal public don't have a chance to really watch them. Well, that's strategically released, though, on the studio's part. And so I think that's part of the problem there. Um, and, you know, I was looking at lead actress. And what we have is we have Glenn Close for Albert Nobbs. We have Viola Davis for The Help. Rooney Mara, Meryl Streep, and Michelle Williams. Who should get it is probably Glenn Close. But who do you think is going to get it? Oh, it's, it's going to be Meryl Streep. I don't know. Or it could be, you know, the help, which has, like, I, I don't get I, it. Get I, I'm, I'm trying to, that, that's what a lot of people are thinking. I actually really thought Rooney Mara did a great job in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I thought she was exactly the robotic kind of emotionless, you know, creature that, that uh, Elizabeth was. And when she became crazy, she went crazy. I thought she did a great job. Meryl Streep, give it a rest. That's all I'm you saying. You know, there. the thing about Meryl Streep is she hasn't really won as much as she, I mean, she's she's the Susan Lucci of the Oscars. She gets nominated every year, and she doesn't win. But I just, I, I'm sure her performance is amazing. But I have such a problem with that whole movie, <laughs> and the fact that it's it's you know kind of insulting to women that i i don't want to see her win for it it would i think it would be embarrassing to have her win for it you know what i mean well but, and the other one that that i just I, I, the the whole iron lady thing there it's i think it's some sort of re rewriting of history you're trying to make her into like this glorified hero when a lot of the uk didn't like her um you know, it's kind of like Reagan with with uh, on our side, where people are trying to rewrite where he's supposedly this super amazing president, and he put us in debt to the point that you know we were lucky to get out. And and uh, it's it's one of those things. It's revisionist history, um, and that's kind of what they did with Jay Edgar, which is part of the reason why it wasn't nominated. Well, that's the whole. I mean, but that's what they do in the movies. I can't blame them for that i think it's just the way that they painted you can paint her as a hero if you want but i think that it in a lot of ways that movie undermined her rather than than making her a strong woman you know and i i think that that is more egregious than painting her as a hero when you know i think we can yeah. all agree she wasn't the best <laughs> her, you know well, and the other thing that I wanted to point out too is, you know, they they nominated Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaids, and I'm still in shock by that because if you're going to nominate someone for a comedy or 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 some, you know, that he was just a caricature. I mean, it wasn't even. I I loved it. I thought it was perfect. Because but was it, was it perfect Oscar amount- worthy? But who who else is in there? We have Jessica Chastain 
for the help, which is probably what's yeah, going. Yeah, the help is is you have Janet McTeer and Albert Nobbs, which I haven't seen, but I the parts I've seen of Albert Nobbs, I'm just in love with. You have Octavia Spencer for the help, who if if you were being fair between her and Jessica Chastain, she should win. Um, and she's an amazing character actress that's been in a lot of things. So I would be okay with Octavia winning. But Melissa McCarthy, um, you know, is just a great character actress. And I would love to see her get recognition. I don't think it's the best, you know, um, role ever. But, you know, it's, it's more power to her. She's a she's a plus-size woman who's very funny and worked very hard on that role with her... Um, Guy Fieri as a female concept, and I love it. So. Well, yeah, the thing is, though, she's playing a caricature of of the the tip. You know, she's the the overweight Butch Dyke, but isn't a Dyke character. I mean, even though it's heavily hinted at in this whole thing and crapping in the sink, I'm just like, really, this is what we're gonna nominate. I, I loved her because I don't think. You know, I think it could have been really easy to make it, like you said, the kind of the the um, the the Dyke character, and really, what I she was an atypical woman, and I found her very relatable in a lot of ways. I I, I liked her, but that's my personal. Um, I think she was one of the best things in that movie. You know, so well. The the other part of this too, the one movie that I still can't get over is is not really represented at all was Drive. I freaking love that movie. I thought that movie was beautifully done. I thought Ryan Gosling was great in his semi-Terminator-like role. And they, you know, Albert Brooks was passed over for his part as a supporting actor. You had Brian Cranston in there, was also passed over as a supporting actor. Uh, it, it just And the music in it was beautiful, uh, beautiful soundtrack. And it wasn't nominated for that. It was nominated for sound editing. And um, yeah, well, that I just have to think about me. the thing that put me over the edge is when Levy and Rose won Best Foreign Film over Pan's Labyrinth, and the Oscars that's an atrocity. Long, that is an atrocity. They have a long-standing bias against genre films, and every once in a while, there's something so spectacular, like Lord of the Rings, that everybody is so acclaimed cross genre that they have to recognize it begrudgingly but when something beautiful comes out like Pan's Labyrinth because it's a genre film it didn't stand a chance against Levine and Rose which was a good movie don't get me wrong it was an Oscar worthy movie but when you compare it to Pan's Labyrinth you know and so that was the last straw for me and so I can't even watch this because a well, lot the of the movies that I cared about this year aren't even well aren't I even couldn't believe that Michael Fassbender who was in like everything this year and was pro you know x-men first class i'm sorry that movie crossed over they wanted to they 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 did write by heath ledger but x-men first class was a freaking awesome film and you tell me that that scene with him and the knife and the two nazis in that movie was not was no was better than anything else that uh they have listed for best picture, tell me that isn't true. But but let's be really honest. If Heath Ledger hadn't passed away, would he have gotten that Oscar? He damn well better have, because they you screwed know, him they on had... on uh, ba- Brokeback Mountain, right? But we say that. But the truth is, like, would he really have? You think they would have even recognized Batman at all? You know what I'm saying? Well, I you know that's that's the crap 
uh, double standard of Hollywood, where your genre flicks, your genre flicks make more money than any other genre, uh, you know, out there. Horror, sci-fi, comics, you know, those films are your money makers. Your art house stuff that you want to, you know, your dramas and things. The only one I think like that would be Titanic that proved that different. But it's, you know, is it jealousy? Do you feel cheap in Hollywood? Hollywood, do you feel cheap that uh, your your horror movies and the sci-fi movies make more money than your dramas and your so-called serious films? Because let me tell you, you can put more pre, you know, more pretense, more you can put more message behind a, a genre flick like X Men First Class did, and talk about things. And get away with a lot more within that context than you can just straight up trying to make a drama about it. And people will grasp it more. You know, it brings up the fact that um, this week an Australian actor and a lot of American actors came up behind him, stepped up and said, look, I'm tired of making remakes. I'm tired of making big, big budget blow em up films. And, you know, it may seem stupid, but I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, I... Oh, what's his name? He's an Australian actor. He's getting a lot of, um... Oh, is it, um... um, The, um... Gosh, the guy from Avatar? Not from Avatar. Um... I actually hadn't seen his movie. I was reading it on the Huffington Post. But George Clooney got behind him. I mean, a lot of big names got behind him and said, Yeah, you know we're going to start making indie films and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Let me pull this up real quick. But I think that it's, you know, it's getting to the point where Hollywood is bored of itself. Nobody wants to be making the kind of movies that are out right now. And um, whenever something is, that does come out, that's really clever. um, It just doesn't get the recognition. Well, you know, and that's kind of like uh, super eight. I really liked, that film uh the ending kind of you know grew went lame but i loved everything else about it it was it was it was a nice throwback to when movies with kids didn't pander spielberg went back to what made spielberg great and abrams uh jj abrams had that um that same touch with it and it it was it was awesome it was it was a great film, and it was back when kids were allowed to to see scary things and 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 not be, um, you know it it just it was the way those movies used to be, and uh, I think it was a nice little addition to this year, and it didn't get anything either. Didn't get anything. Those kids in there were so um, were great actors too. There were some great, great child actors in that that could have been nominated for supporting roles, for starring roles. They didn't get it. So, I just, you know, I I, I don't know. The only one yeah. I agree with out of this whole thing was Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman better win that best actor nomination that he got up yeah. for. Yeah, he's overdue. I mean, I think everybody knows. But um, the other thing I wanted to t- um, I wanted to uh, bring in to uh, bring up was this Friday, which since we're filming on a Monday and we air on Thursday tomorrow, tomorrow 
Um, we will be having uh, released here in the States one of the uh, latest Hammer Horror films, which is The Lady in Black, or The Woman in Black, with um, with Daniel Radcliffe not playing <sighs> Harry Potter. And uh, that looks amazing. And uh, please go support that because I want more Hammer movies. Hammer movies are great and we want more. Um, and the other one that's coming out, so you can do like a double genre feature if you'd like, is The Chronicle, which looks really interesting. There's not a lot about it, um, but uh, it looks, uh, not a lot about it out there, but it looks really great. It's one of those um, home video movies where um, found footage and these three kids, um, three teenagers, are uh, get superpowers. And they uh, they videotape their progression with their powers and you see the corruption happen as they just start doing things like oh Blazeli tossing a, a Subaru Forester off the side of a, a road because they were tailgating them see um, it's, it's hard for me not to I, it's hard for me to get excited about it because I really like the misfits and I'm afraid it's going to be Americanized misfits I don't even think they knew about the misfits when they made this I know, but it's it's hard for me to think of the concept being any better. And and the Misfits is nothing really new. I mean, the freshman comic book series that Seth Green did uh, was sort of like that. Um, but I really I want to give it a shot because I like the stuff I saw from the trailer, and I like um, I like how seamless the special effects are in it. It looks really cool. So I'm going to definitely give it a shot, and um, I. I definitely want everybody that's listening to go out and, and go see the woman in black because uh hammer um did something great with the remake of let me in they made a different film it was felt different yeah. from the original and, and um i also like what they did um with the resident um they they've got some great new hammer films coming out and i really want the studio to keep going and it's always great to see the um the uh the logo come up on the screen on a big screen so makes me happy but without further ado <laughs> as I'm, I'm i i get the feeling that uh rachel and my ghostly amanda want want us to bring the hotties on as they are saying um let's go get <laughs> our guests our guests for the night our resident our guest hotties for the night nathan basil and david Steev, the uh, three men responsible for bringing to life one of the newest slasher killers in the horror genre and probably one of the nicest, if that's possible. <laughs> um, and here I have with us uh, Nathan Basil, David Steev, and Scott Glosserman. Uh, Scott is the director of Behind the Mask, Nathan is the star of Behind the Mask, and David is the writer of Behind the Mask. And you guys are I work on a prequel sequel to this, and um, we want to help get that made. Yeah, hey, really nice of you. <laughs> we we actually we call it a, a spree make because it's part it's part sequel, part prequel, part remake. But I, no, <laughs> I thought it was a sprequel. <laughs> it, it it could be it could be a sprequel. I think spree make is a little bit more of a ring to that than sprequel. That is just that isn't how you have to explain the Alvin and Chipmunk squeakle. I think I think remake has a little more uh, I don't know, it's got a little more horror gravitas to it. 
<laughs> you I have see, to explain I see an how... animated spinoff. I think there's an animated <laughs> spinoff in there. Leslie Vernon meets the chipmunks. As long as Leslie <laughs> doesn't start eating his own poop, that will be bad. Oh. <laughs> right. What could even come you up? You gave away the big plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, fortunately, that's not that's not a bad oh convention that we have to deconstruct. <laughs> so, Scott, um, you, Scott and David, this would be towards you guys. You have to explain how it is a remake of the original because I I I love the original. I don't want you to redo it. It was perfect the way it was. But can you give us a little bit more background on what this movie's going to entail? Well, before before David says anything that he's not supposed to, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just gonna feel this for a second. Um, it's don't don't worry. It's not as though what it is is a it's a it's a deconstruction of the conventions and the archetypes of horror remakes, sequels, and prequels. We're rolling up all of that uh, derivative content into a film. So it's not necessarily a remake of our own film. It is a commentary on remakes in general of horror films. I'm, further than that, we can't elaborate on what is actually in the film for fear of giving it away. I gotcha. Okay. Right. I, think, I mean, I think the only thing to add to that is that Scott's right. There's, there's nothing that I think that has happened the last, I'd say, maybe five to ten years of slasher that... Scott and I didn't examine and didn't look at and say, well, what what worked, what missed, what do people expect, what do people not expect, and nobody really escapes, uh, you know, a little bit of good-natured uh, light shining, including including behind the mask. We were very aware of you know, needing to sort of make fun of ourselves or, or you know, sort of be aware of ourselves, even in this sort of double meta sort of way. So everybody gets a little bit of time. And, and let me just say, you know, over the last years or so, and, and even before that, I mean, the, the horror franchise, the whole, the sequeling of horror films, and with the recent re, reimagining of, uh, of, of conventional horror franchises to, to create both the prequels and the remakes of horror films, I mean, that's really, that's where we're going with our exploration of these uh, conventions and archetypes. And so, of course, there will be fun nods to the remaking of, of the events, I mean, in that in that way. But there's there's a lot more to it. So um, is this going to be another um, videotape, uh, uh, like, documentary style? Can you at least tell us that? Well, what, what we will say is it took us a, a very long time to figure out how to stay true to the shooting style of the original. So, and, and, to, and then to subsequently try to one-up ourselves. So, yeah, in the, in the way in which we went from a docu-style aesthetic to a filmic aesthetic, we are, we are trying to stick true to that, to have uh, mixed media in the form of both documentary style, also full filmic glory, and maybe even one or two additional styles. But we are certainly aware of the found footage horror film, which, you know, was kicked off... Um, Probably a little over ten years ago. I mean, there were there were some predecessors, but that has certainly become a core convention. And you know, we want to we're, we're going to try to touch on some of that too. 
Gotcha. And, and the so, counterpart to that, the counter, the counterpart to that actually is that on the creative side, for me, I think one of the biggest struggles that Scott and I went, you know, we really had to rack our brains was on a story level. How do we get, how do we get Leslie? You know, how, how do we get these? How do we get the dynamic back? Given where the last film ended, uh, it was just without giving it away. It was a challenge to say, well, how how would exactly the people that were envisioning how would they come back together given what Leslie did at the end of Behind the Mask. So that was that was a really rewarding thing when we cracked that code. Well, right. my my next. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no. I mean, David. David is right. The way to, I mean to get back into a situation where you are shooting within the rules or the confines of the original movie where you are only shooting out of a couple of documentary style lenses um, and then and then to convert to horror how did how to get back into that style that those rules but to do something new took took a lot of thinking I guess well I was gonna say that it sounds very complex, but I think you guys can pull it off because the that was one of the things that was so great about how the original film sort of just slid right into that whole stalking and and the hunting thing that Leslie does at the end. It was just so it was seamless. Um, but I have well, to ask a lot Nathan. Of that, I, was, I was going to say a big Go part ahead. of that was Nathan. Nathan had Nathan had the chops to pull that kind of a character off. That, would not have been easy to do given the you know where that character had to start from and go. So I was, I was just going to segue to Nathan, but you're right on it. Well, I was going to say to Nathan, it's how do you, with how this sounds, it sounds like it's going to be kind of beforehand and back. How do you get into the mindset of this character because he's really complex and you really sell that turn on a dime. I go from being this nice, nice sweetheart of a guy, and to a, a cold-blooded killer you do it with just the your eyes just change and your whole demeanor changes how do you get back into that mindset especially with this where it sounds like it's kind of giving your origins again but really deeper uh i think that what the guys did really excellently with the first script was um create a story that had a lot of the ideas that they were wanting to express <clears throat> and then a character in Leslie uh, was a vehicle that uh, could be infused with a lot of different um, takes, and my take happened to be one that was close to me and what I was interesting, interested in pursuing at the time, which is uh, uh, one in which a character is a really relatable, super... Um, uh, even likable and at the same time he does things that people might find uh, 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 upsetting and I felt like that would be a much more um, interesting um, and confronting experience for the audience if Leslie uh, was somebody that uh, rather than um, a mustache twisting villain that, that um, a lot of people you know, might enjoy watching, but um, but that they're not uh, personally um, invested in. Uh, if it was more a uh, guy that you know, the, the next door, you know, guy next door kind of guy, um, and you know, who who has some humor and and some lightness and some relatability, so that when he begins doing some some 
you know, terrible things, the audience actually has a, a crisis, a, a little bit of a crisis than, than what audiences generally have in, in movie theaters where every, the roles are, are very easily delineated and you know this guy's the good guy and this guy's the bad guy. Um, it just felt like a, a, a guy who embodies all of those things at the same time um, just doesn't let the, the audience off the hook as easily. Uh, it feels like the sequel um, really allows that to continue and um, and fold in some of the the things that I found interesting in exploring the first time, which was really you know what's going what's what's happening in my life, where 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 am I right now in my life, and how does this relate uh, if it relates at all to Leslie's. Um, journey, and um, and the guys found a really wonderful way to, to draw um, uh, a, a number of parallels that that really helped me uh, just be bring reality, bring more truth to a character that really um, that really that's his that's his you know that's kind of the film's stock and trade. Well, and it's, it. it's a beautiful reversal because we have Dexter and all these other um, genre characters who they're pretending to be nice guys. You know, they, they've worked really hard to be likable. And with Leslie, you get this feeling that he really is a nice guy and he's working really hard towards this idiom he's embraced. And um, so when you're working with somebody like Robert England or the myriad of other wonderful cameos you had in this film, how much, um, is there any pressure to feel like you are um, bringing an homage to them or bringing something of their genre to the table or is it, is the point for you to make something completely new? Uh, I feel like the point is to just do what what Scott and David um, you know set out uh, on paper to realize that as truthfully as possible and in doing so um, I'll be uh, doing exactly what uh, what needs to be done I, I feel like um, Robert has expressed on numerous occasions his his um, his real affection for what what the guys were doing the first time around, and uh, and I feel like that's because he feels like we're telling um, in an odd way we're kind of telling the truth of what he's been up to for the last you know few decades. Um, we and we're not apologizing for it. Um, if anything, we're uh, really trying to. Uh, show a really affectionate light on on what makes not just the film but the genre relevant um, and elevates it to way past uh, mere entertainment to a place where it's, it's truly um, mythical. I mean, you you know, it can be compared to uh, you know. Mythology in 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 certain terms, and um, and it really has a a wonderful philosophical element to it that uh, that I really appreciate, and I think he does too. 
Like, it was great for me because I am not on the show, especially I'm not the horror fan. I'm not the horror buff. And I watched this movie with one of my friends who's a huge horror buff. And we both enjoyed it so immensely. And I think that really speaks to the strength of the script and, and of all the actors that it was so, um, it was so genre specific. And yet I had such a great time. And it was such a beautiful homage for, for all of the horror fans. And so I'm really, we're, we're both really looking forward to the, the prequel and um, hoping people will donate to your Kickstarter and that uh, we can get this going for you. Well, if I may jump in, this is Scott. I, I, um, I'm, I'm really, that, that means a lot to us because what we were really setting out to do, we, we certainly wanted to write a love note to horror horror fans in the community, and we wanted to um, have enough sophistication in there and enough Easter eggs for uber horror fans to be able to discover things and, and get the movie on a level that, you know, other people wouldn't necessarily get. But we also wanted to create something that uh, non-fans or aficionados of horror could also really, really enjoy in the same way they may see you know, a, a Christopher Guest movie of um, sure. of some of the dog show. You know, and and anybody can enjoy it. Uh, and the dog aficionados would probably get a little bit more out of it. So that's that was our goal, and and you guys represented that in one screening of it. So we really we really love hearing that. Yeah, for me, I think you know, you, uh, Nathan kind of hit on it. What I think hopefully is resonating mm-hmm. so well across. The normal barrier, you know, the normal strata of fans is that, you know, at its core, Leslie is just a guy. He's a struggling artist, and there is a. It's a very simple <laughs> story. It's a very simple metaphor, and it's a, it's a love story essentially. Um, but it's about a guy who's trying to do something really difficult with his life, and uh, in the mm-hmm. face of really really long odds. And I think that that's a story that everybody relates to. I mean, it could just as easily have been. You know, a cartoon, or it could have been a, an animated, and, a, and you know, a story about animated fish, or it could have been a romantic comedy. I mean, any any of these characters, that, you know, the the archetype that Leslie represents is something that resonates across all genres. Uh, it just so happened to be that, you know, he chose to be a psycho slasher killer as opposed to a baseball <laughs> player or a, or a doctor or a lawyer, you know, a, a lawyer or something. Well, and I, I had to add that I really loved how you took the mythology and made this great world where all of these characters, like Freddie and Jason and, and all of them existed, but you made it so feasible. And I loved how you you made the reason he's he does it and why it happens. For You made it that feasible, too. You made this whole world and this mythology that was so great for this film and then you added that element that people had always talked about but never really had had hit upon which was the final girl and the killer they are a love story and you did that so well and sneakily at the same time I thought that was brilliant I think that uh, I mean I I have to give credit where credit's due that was certainly that was an original idea I mean that was something that you see the underpinnings of that and you know, and Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, you, you know, there, there's always that element of, of the love-hate thing. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm always drawn to very strong female characters. It's from having a lot of strong female characters in my life. So I think that's always going to be something that I'm, my, my, my final girl, my survivor girls are always going to be, you know, they're always going to step up, I hope. So that was, uh, yeah, that was by design, but it was also something that, I, again, bring back around that 
Nathan and you, you have Angela as as Taylor and Nathan as as Leslie, and you, there was a lot of chemistry there that they brought to these characters, and that that and you can only take it so far on the page, and then you have two talented actors that were able to really to bring the subtleties out of that. It was amazing to watch. And and it it doesn't hurt that Nathan's cute as a button. I I've been told by hey. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told oh, over and over. <laughs> I've been told over and over. Where's the hottie? Bring on the hottie. Where's the? Hottie? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> it's gonna be that kind of a show tonight. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what I want Leslie Vernon. Leslie's gonna be the hottest killer ever. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, he does I'm, a lot I'm of working art, out. I'm, start, I'm starting my workout <laughs> regimen so that I can be really super hot for for all of the <laughs> horror fans that are just needing a really hot killer. <laughs> I don't That's hate it. <laughs> um, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to talk about all the stuff you've got going on because I know I saw that you had an eBay auction that started. And um, I want right. to give you guys a chance right. to to talk about the stuff going on to get money to put together so we get this movie so we can see Nathan being hot. Well, we, <laughs> we are certainly grateful to you guys for uh, having this interview and, and accommodating the, the timeliness of it. It gives us an opportunity to get the word out about what we're doing this month. We're, we're really trying to put the hard press on, and we've... We're, we basically went into the closet and got got all of our old props and costumes out, and uh, and we're we're fire selling it. We're 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 selling everything. We're we're trying to raise any money we can for the movie. We we certainly don't expect to crowdfund the entire budget of this movie, but the dents that we're making with both the the numbers in our community, which is now over twelve thousand people as well as the amount of money we've raised so far, which is over $60,000, uh, has, has gotten people notice. And if we can, you know, our, uh, one of the issues that we deal with is we're not using a traditional crowdfunding platform like a Kickstarter because we, well, we wanted to do something new and we wanted to be sort of uh, a pioneer on, on Facebook and we wanted to create our own application in part to avoid the commissions that we'd have to pay. We'd have to pay up to 8% of what we raised to Kickstarter, and, and we wanted to put 100% of the proceeds to the movie and uh, and, and create a, a newsworthy event. So in order to do that, though, we can't put a deadline on it and because we, we, we don't know how long it would take. So this has been sort of a learning experience, and we, we hope people's patience doesn't run out, but we're trying ever so hard to accelerate this process. So, like I said, we're, we're basically selling everything from the original movie, and we're doing that in the form of both auctions as well as a web store that we just launched. So every week in the month of February, you're going to see a new auction with, with, new, with, with props, one-of-a-kind props and costumes that we had from the original movie. And the web store is going to be populated with a bunch of different promotional items we use to sell the movie and promote the movie, as well as we've got some new art prints that have been commissioned by for free by poor artists that I'm sure many people in the horror community will be familiar with. Um, 
Nathan Milner and, and Joe Richardson, uh, to, to name a few. But um, all of this stuff is is going in support of the budget for the new movie. And uh, what's the website the... address? Oh, sorry. Go I'm ahead. Sorry? I was gonna. I was gonna say, what's the website address? Well, everything can be navigated to uh, from our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the words before the mask. And, uh, and from there, you can, you can click on the before the mask web store where you can purchase everything from a Leslie Vernon sweatshirt and T-shirt, the art prints, they're all limited edition, uh, to you can click support before the mask which will allow you to pre-purchase. This isn't about taking donations and doing this for charity. This is trying to pre-sell DVDs, chances to get killed in the movie. Um, We're pre-selling the props from the movie uh, and using all of the pre-selling of the merchandise um, to put toward the budget of the movie. Now, when I say pre-selling, it it, it simply means that we're pre-authorizing people's credit cards because if we don't, raise the money for this movie, and I can't entertain that as a possibility, but if we don't, no one's card will get charged, so there's really no risk. You're basically committing to pre-order, pre-ordering the movie, essentially. And, uh, and then there will also be, when you go to that site, a link to the eBay auctions, or you can just type in behind the mask, and, and you'll navigate to the auction that way if, if you're on eBay. There's some beautiful artwork up there. There's some really great T-shirts. I think there's a um, autographed soundtrack up right now. And that's right. Um, Gordy Hobbs is is really taken off since Behind the Mask, and that's a great story. I'm not sure we have time for, but he just did all of the um, the Star Wars score for the new Star Wars video game, and he did the Indiana Jones video game, and he's sort of he's become George Lucas's go-to composer. For all of his uh, his new his new video games, which is amazing, because these games are grossing a billion dollars, and he's he's getting to do what any any movie scorer would love, which is to take George Lucas's Star Wars <laughs> score and, and to build upon it. So he's had a wonderful a career so far, and he'll he'll sign these are the original copies of the Behind the Mask the soundtrack that we created, and, and they also have dialogue scenes in them. And, you know, we ran, a, we ran off maybe 100 and didn't sell them all. And so we have extras, and we're, and we're selling them on the web store right now until we run out, and Gordy is signing them. Nice. That's brilliant. I love, I love this as being a, a very much of a new way of doing it, and hopefully this is a, a blueprint for how indie films can start getting made, these you know, original concepts like this. I, I really, sure. It is, I really it's really encouraging. It. But, um, but we will encourage people to, you know, the, it's interesting. Getting people to, to like us on Facebook and building this community is, is very heartwarming and it's very encouraging. But getting people, that same community, to actually pre-order a, some merchandise, to actually pre-commit to pre-ordering a DVD has been more of a challenge. We only have essentially a, a little less than a 3% conversion ratio from the, quote, likes to the people who are actually committing to pre-order. And imagine if we had, if every single one of those 12,000 people we already have in our community were to commit to pre-ordering a DVD, 
for twenty bucks, we'd we'd have we'd have almost a quarter of a million dollars. So so we already have the community; it already exists, and we need to get people in our community uh, to to be as proactive as possible. Exactly. So it's twenty bucks, people, and you're going to buy it anyway. Come on, <laughs> Come do it. That's you know? right. <laughs> And I think right now it's a, it's a great time for you to go back and watch it, whether you own the first one, seen it on Netflix, whatever. Go back, take a look, and you're going to want more. And so just think about the fact that you want it to be made. Let's make sure it happens. I mean, it's, it's a no-risk situation. You're not going to get charged unless the project goes for it. And that's a great thing. I think it's really great. And I, and I love that you've found a way to do this without taking such a deep dig from Kickstarter. I think that's fantastic. So go like the page and check out their store. Um, if you're not comfortable with pre-ordering, there's plenty of things up in their store and up on eBay that you got to have if you're a fan. So Right, and I know Nate really Milner. I, I was going to say, these artists are, are some uh, freaking amazing artwork that they've got up there. And I have to give a prop out to Christy Jett for helping set this whole thing up with uh, the guys to come on the show. But she's also out there busting her butt trying to help get this stuff out and helping get T-shirts made and that kind of thing. So well, it's, it's like I a... Just have to say, I mean, none of this would be possible without Christy. She was it just, it was just amazing how since we have met her and subsequently since she's come on board to help us with what we're doing, how much more sophisticated we've become. And uh, and she's she's helped us out in a, in a huge way, so we are so grateful to her. Yeah, you know, we were I, starting from pretty. We, got, we were starting from kind of a low bar of being sophisticated individuals. So really, anybody that could have brought anything into classes <laughs> up a little bit was probably uh, long overdue. That's right. And line marketers, and so yeah, she she really taught us a thing or two. She's the she's the queen of sass and customer service. That's for sure. So right. props to Christy. <laughs> props to Christy. And um, I just wanted to. I know we got to wrap up, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to to add anything else, or is there anything else that you want people to know about how to to help get this made? Well, I, I'll just I'll, I'll start off me, by saying you guys, it, please please go to the Facebook site and sign up. And if you're interested in, in actually being more proactive uh, in helping out locally, we're going to make a pretty big announcement um, soon about our plans going into March. Um, and, and we're going to need significant on-the-ground, offline, local help for what we're doing. So there is actually a street team sign-up that, that is also on our Facebook page. If you're interested in helping out locally, um, you can you can sign up for that street team, and, and we will be eternally grateful. And there will be all sorts of fun swag and and uh, benefits for joining that street team. Sweet. And David, did you have something to add? I was just gonna. I, I think it's already been said a million times, but you know, just from from the writer's corner, I, it's it's always rewarding, and it means so much that we've had so much incredible support from the, from the fans. It's just, uh, we wouldn't be here. And I, you know, I don't know that we'd be, I don't know that Scott and I would have been legitimately having conversations at his kitchen table about, you know, how we're going to do this, what, you know, what happens with the story. If 
Leslie Burton, Leslie Burton hadn't found his following with, with the with the horror community. I mean, I, you know, we, we as we all know, it didn't do well in its theatrical release, and that was disappointing. But it's all been worth it when you look at the the way he's, that Leslie's been received and the story's been received in this this weird universe that we're trying to create. Uh, it's it's resonating, and I'm eternally grateful to the fan base out there that just has stuck with us and has spread the word and has helped grow this thing over the past couple of years. That's awesome. And Nathan, I want to thank you for just making such an awesome character. He's he's <laughs> one of my favorite killers in the last freaking <laughs> 15 years. He's just so neat and funny and, and witty. Thank you so much. I, I it was It was nothing but pure joy to be able to to play the character and to live in the world that uh, that David and Scott had created, and uh, I'm looking so forward to doing it again. Can't wait! I hope it happens. And and please go to the Facebook page, go and pre-order the DVD. You're going to buy it anyway. You know you want to help these guys out. Give me my Leslie Vernon again because we all, <laughs> I want him back. She will find and you so and she will hunt you. <laughs> I will find you and I will hug you. <laughs> it will happen. Um, but I, do I it. One last thing. One one last thing. Do I have time? Sure. I, sure. I hate. I've, I've sort of. I've, I've put on this new hat, um, which is self promoter. I guess I don't. Which I'm very uncomfortable in. But I, I should mention that this this DVD that we are offering is. Uh, it comes from my, my previous years of collecting uh, baseball and football cards. And what they, they started to take pieces of jerseys, and they would embed them into the card. So you could get a Babe Ruth jersey card. And we're, we're kind of lifting that concept. And we're, we're going to make a, a print of this film. And we're going to cut up all of the frames of the movie. And we are going to insert the um, frames of the film into the actual uh, DVD uh, fold-out, the, the cardboard DVD fold-out. So, and everyone will get their own unique DVD, and it'll be limited to the number of the frames in the movie, and they'll all be serialized and, uh, and signed. So we're hoping that at least we're going to give someone something of tangible collector value. So even if you just wanted to turn around and put it on eBay, probably make your money back. So it's really risk-free, and it's a really wonderful one-of-a-kind item to, to own. That is awesome. Yeah, so I, I, that's, I, I, I just throw that out there. Because you make well, these posts on the Facebook wall, and then they get buried, and you have to repost, and you don't want to keep repeating yourself, but you're not really sure how to get the word out on all this stuff. So if you have any ideas, feel free to let us know. Send it to the fangirls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> never, never underestimate our desire for cute guys killing people. Yeah, Not that's really. what we do. <laughs> Poor Nathan. I mean, he never good stories. <laughs> good stories is what I meant. <laughs> yeah, we like good stories, not wife beater shirts with arms. Well, you have to promise us if, if you know, when we when we do get on set, that y'all come visit and uh, and do a radio <laughs> interview from set. That'll be really great. Well, you, you, you did film in Portland before, and, and we're only an hour away from Portland. <laughs> It's a deal. <laughs> Done. <laughs> there you go, Rachel. <laughs> no take backies. <laughs> I'm all giggly now. Ah, I got the vapors. You guys have so. an open invitation. 
Well, I'm I'm coming to you. That's it. Yeah, that's it now. <laughs> we always get in uh, trouble. The Todd's not I'm, here to make I'm us. I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm blushing and grills. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for for coming on the show. And and like we said, we really want you to we want you guys to succeed. We want this film to get made, and so we'll do all we can for you to get get the word out. So thank you once again for thank coming you on. So much. Thank you. Thank you, and, thank you and very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, and that that's it for the episode. Thank you for listening, and go go forth to Facebook and find Leslie, and go buy a DVD. That's that's all it takes, and we'll get a movie. So thank you once again, and this is Jessica and Rachel and Amanda and the the guys of the men of Leslie Vernon, saying good night. Never lay down. They never lay down.